Dreidel, 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 I made you out of clay. Dreidel, 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 with you I will play. Next year we can do a Hanukkah special. Christmas, ho, ho, ho. Yeah, Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Honda Days. Happy Chanukah. Hey, happy Kwanzaa. Happy New Year. Happy Life Day. It's holiday time again. And we here at Secret Movie Club are doing a special podcast. We're calling, and by the way, again, another brilliant idea from Connor Lloyd Cruz, your chief creative content officer. We're doing Secret Santa, Secret Movie Club podcast, Secret Santa edition. Connor, since you came up with the idea, yeah, tell us what it is. So uh, we got Secret Movie Club team member Josh Oakley to randomly give the four of us, we'll introduce ourselves in a second, each other's names, and we each secretly gave each other a movie, and uh, we all watched them, and we're going to talk about them, and I think it'd be kind of fun. Who who here is, like, more than 90% certain they know who gave them their movie? I'm not 90, but I got 50-50. So we'll have, we'll have Craig go last, I think, because I think Craig is probably the least sure. I, th- I think I know who gave everybody what and what every movie is now. I think I've puzzled it together through interactions we've had. I guess we should introduce ourselves. I am Connor Lloyd Cruz the people's champion hey holiday pals it's daniel <sighs> hello america it's another day in twilight christmas time eggnog scrooge and uh um, do you drink eggnog edwin uh no no i just i just wanted to use that turn because okay. you know i just can't picture you drinking that why not apparently people get drunk off it so you know i'm looking at you Craig. yes because they put liquor in it. it's not like the eggs are so old or something that it just like curdles and <laughs> gets you it poisons you i like that better <laughs> then you go on like a mushroom a shroom like trip on the nog uh, anyway, my, my name is Craig. I am the founder programmer of Secret Movie Club. You're going to be hearing this December 23rd. It is the middle of Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah to all folks in the tribe. As you know, my dad's Jewish. My mom's Catholic. I celebrate it all. Then tomorrow is Christmas Eve day. Tonight, come to the Million Dollar Theater, our grand finale of the John Ford uh, year, uh, Ford Fundamentals, both on 35, two of my top five John Ford films, The Quiet Man and then The Searchers. And then tomorrow, get a little sleep. Come back to the Million Dollar Theater at 11 a.m. for our annual It's a Wonderful Life 35mm screening. Then, although we probably say this in the next pod, uh, New Year's Eve, if you're in Los Angeles, we're throwing a New Year's Eve party where we're showing Victor Seostrom's The Phantom Carriage. And we're going to do a pod on it, actually. But his uh, silent film that inspired uh, the career of Igmar Bergman is an amazing movie. Stanley Kubrick lifted straight up a scene from it for The Shining. And we have a live score by the Rob Schaudecker trio. And then we're going to have a party and we're going to ring in the new year here at the Secret Movie Club Theater. As always, find out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. You can write us a community at secretmovieclub.com. Just to give out some gifts in the holiday season, let me announce a little more of what we're showing January to March. As you probably know now, our director of 2023 is Alfred Hitchcock, the Master Series. And I am programming a shadow series of all the people who were influenced and had to make the like master disciple. That's what I call it. The master D- disciple series. So many movies inspired by Alfred Hitchcock. The first of those that you're going to see jackass one and two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I just had to say that. Uh, the first of those that I think fall under that are February 15th. We are doing Clint Eastwood's debut movie, Play Misty for Me, on 35, which is a uh, Hitchcock riff. And then we're doing Roman Polanski's Frantic, starring Harrison Ford, which is a straight-up Hitchcock riff. A, a movie referenced in Bare Naked Ladies one week. That's right. Like Sting, I'm Tantric. Like Harrison Ford, I'm getting frantic. There you go. And then I'll also tell you another evening we're doing of our Master Disciple series. We're doing two De Palmas, March 11th. We're doing Dress to Kill and Blowout. Okay. I was hoping that your anti-De Palma bias wasn't going to... That's one of the few times I will throw shade at Craig for certain programming things. When you started saying that, I was like, there better be some De Palma in here. Let me say, let me own. First off, Connor's absolutely right. There are a lot of De Palma movies I'm not thrilled about and i've been open about that i think a lot of times there's a lot of women kissing and kind of skeezy sleazy kind of objectification that look let me go on i love sex i love explicit sex in movies i love like verhoven for some reason i give verhoven a pass basic instinct love it benedetta love it certain de palma movies don't love them but i will say i love blowout I think Blowout's a straight-up masterpiece. Also, Connor, for whatever it's worth, I am showing another De Palma on 35, a movie of his I think is one of his best that almost never gets shown, his early Robert De Niro feature, High Mom. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Well, really? You got an Edwin reaction. And I was just, you know, I was just teasing you. But I, I got to own that. I want to be the same in a dark room as I am in front of a crowd full of people. Yes. I know. March 15th. We are showing Hi Mom on 35 millimeter because it's one of my favorite De Palmas. And it is a blazingly brilliant satire of the 1960s. And uh, you got to see it. And then finally, I will say we continue our partnerships and alliances in winter. February uh, 23rd, we are doing Knives Out, which I hope we're doing on film, Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, with a dinner theater troupe that is actually going to do a full-on whodunit mystery in the Secret Movie Club Theater. Come join us for that. Uh, and then we are joining with Strong Asian Lead to show Wayne Wang's uh, 1982 amazing movie, Chan is Missing. That's going to happen uh, March 25th. So come and meet new people, form film alliances, and uh, I've got much more to announce, but I'll save uh, the next announcement for the next podcast. As always, you can find out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. Let's move on. Secret Santa time. This year, Connor had the great idea. Let's each give each other a movie, but not say who gave what movie. I am grateful to my secret Santa. I'll save that because I'm going last. And I want Edwin to go first. Edwin, tell us what you saw, what you thought of it, and who you think your secret Santa is. Well, I saw the 2005 cult classic Tony Jaa's uh, Unbok, which is a a martial arts film, which has some of the most intense kung fu fighting I've ever seen in my life. It is super hardcore. The first scene is already like, damn, they're, they're already hurting each other. Just a great movie. Th- that dude knows how to fight. There's another movie he did called The Protector where there's a long fight sequence with no cuts at all. This dude moves super fast. And he's a skinny dude. Did you like the movie? I did. I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, I didn't get a chance to finish it because I passed out there last night. But uh, What part did you get to? I got to the part where we're in like a boxing ring and they're like kicking ass and everything. You haven't even seen the best part. Wait, wait, wait. What do you want from me? 
What do you want from me? You stopped at the boxing ring? Yeah. Wait. I passed out. You haven't even seen the amazing martial arts. So can you guess by my reaction who your secret Santa was? I thought it was... (laughs) Well, I thought it was Daniel... Because he knows my love for martial art films, but okay. Who so did you? you who, who did you a solid? Who did you a solid? You could have watched this last week when you did your Santa Claus triple feature, where you watched all three Tim Allen Santa Claus movies, which you you, you told me in the car ride back from Palm Springs that you regretted doing. Let me just spin this happily. <laughs> the good news is I'm glad you like it, and the the better news is that. You haven't even gotten to the effects that are going to blow your mind. The fighting in the last half hour of the movie is potentially the best martial arts ever put to film. Whoa. I'll finish it. So I just Merry Christmas. Yeah, thank you. I hope you'll finish it. So, but you did see where he did the flip through the two planes of glass. You at least saw that. Yeah, I did. Okay. I was given the film Airport 77, and I would be willing to bet a billion dollars, especially now, that it was Edwin who gave it to me. Am, am I correct? Sorry, what? In Josh's, in the, my, um, I'll read our interaction when he, when he told me. <laughs> You have been assigned Airport 77, Josh said. I replied, LOL. Don't tell me who recommended that. And Josh replied, impossible to guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, And then also, whenever we were on the way home from Palm Springs, you were like, you watched your Secret Santa yet? <laughs> like, you should watch that later. I think you really like it. I saw on Letterboxd that you watched that, and I was like, oh, Edwin had Connor. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's the only one I could think of. It was really fun. Um, I haven't seen any of those airport movies. You know, it was fun to watch. I can't, I almost wish I had watched it with like buddies or something because it's a pretty basic movie, and I was definitely like amusing myself at times by making little jokes here and there. If if people don't know airport movies, they're mostly known now as being the basis for the comedy film Airplane. There was a series of them. Airport seventy seven being the third, right? Yeah, that's the third one. Airport seventy seven has uh, Jack Lemmon as the pilot of a plane uh christopher lee M. Emmett walsh our passengers are there any other really famous passengers i'm forgetting uh not really just james stewart and jimmy stewart's um, on the outside with george kennedy yeah. oh lee grant lee grant's in it she's one of the passengers the dude who plays jack lemon's best bud the guy who plays the dad in a christmas story i thought for like a very brief window towards the middle i was like is that tommy lee jones I was like, uh, no, no that's, that's not Tommy Lee Jones. He looks a little like him. They could play yeah, brothers. A bit. Are there any jokes straight up lifted from Airport 77 for Airplane? I didn't really catch a lot of jokes lifted. I think Airplane's more based on the first one. It's the first one and the second one. Those are the two they basically spoofed on. This one is about, so <laughs> let me let me see if I can try to explain what happens in this movie. Uh, please do. I'm very excited. I, I want you to explain how it goes. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Stewart is a rich man who builds planes and collects art and he's moving a bunch of he has this new crazy big plane this is back in the day the halcyon days of cinema when you could excite people with the promise of a big plane and there's a lot of the movie that's like this plane is pretty cool which is weird because in the year of our lord and savior 2023 we're getting a new film about a plane called plane oh nice (laughs) with Gerard Butler there's a trailer for it it's some action thriller about a plane crash and at the end of it the movie's just called plane and every single time the audience has erupted in laughter it wasn't there in front of glass onion i think so yeah i knew our audience for glass onion was going to be good when they lost their crap at uh 
plane. I kept amusing myself by imagining Jimmy Stewart, what Jimmy Stewart was doing, which is mostly standing around in different places. What was happening with him was being motivated by what Jimmy Stewart wanted to do. Like there's a part where he goes on a helicopter and I'm just imagining Jimmy Stewart be like, well, I, I, I want to go on a whirly bird and I want you to take me <laughs> on to, out to the sea and give me the dock on a schooner. They're like, all right, Jimmy. <laughs> so then they, they let him ride in a helicopter. I don't know what you think, Edwin. I feel like he's a little, like, kind of phoning it in, which kind of makes sense. He, you know, he, no, no, he, is. he worked with the greats. Jack Lemmon is not phoning it in. He's a pro. Yeah, of course he is. I believe him the whole time. I'm like, this guy is a pilot and he's dealing with these situations, which the situation that arises is that on this airplane that has all these wealthy passengers and all this art that I guess Jimmy Stewart is transporting also has his estranged daughter and grandson. And there's all sorts of other little character things, you know, Jack Lemmon's kind of in a romantic relationship with this woman. There's a heist. The middle part of this movie becomes a heist movie. There's a lot of subterfuge early on in the movie, actually, that's kind of confusing that I didn't understand people like exchanging briefcases that, I didn't think really made any made any sense, um, but the idea is that they're they're stealing all the paintings, all the expensive stuff that Jimmy Stewart's there, and then in the middle of this, it goes wrong. The plane lands in this water, and they're wildly off course. And the plane is so advanced, everything's air pressured, so the plane actually sinks underwater. But because of the air pressure, it doesn't immediately flood into their main thing. And so most of the movie, the meat of the movie, is about them stuck in the plane underwater and trying to figure out a way to get out because, like I said, they're wildly off course because of this failed heist. So it's got shades of the Poseidon adventure. I think somebody described it online as it's the Poseidon adventure in a plane. Yeah, that's right. It was actually kind of cool because, especially in the latter half, the rescue methods they used seemed pretty probable. Well, it's sort of military propaganda, to be totally honest. It's kind of a proto, you know, Top Gun or something where you can tell this is like heavily funded by the Navy. who's like, we want to show off all our cool little toys, but they are cool little toys and it's cool seeing them do it. It does in the last half. There's like a real lack of a moral conundrum at any point. I thought there was going to be a situation where it was like the business people wanted to save the plane, but in order to save the plane, they had to kind of endanger the people inside, you know? But that well, wasn't really, that was never an issue. That never came up. Yeah, it was really fun. I learned there's a part where Jack Lemmon waves at a plane and then it, it rotates, it <laughs> wags at him. I like that. I was like, yeah. Yeah, now show it, Craig. That would be kind of fun to show some of those. Thank oh, sure. you. I don't know how, hey, how many people would come to them, but. It's a marathon. God willing, we have many years ahead of us. We do all four, I think four yeah. airport movies. I think we should screen them in Edwin's bedroom. No. I think no. Edwin, like in the Fablemans, we should project them right on his hand. Like, <laughs> and then we just watch them as we like, kind of like nuzzle him from all sides. And cry. Uh, I was assigned the film The Infinite Man from 2014, directed by Hugh Sullivan, a movie I had never heard of. Did a little research into it. It was a bit of a festival darling that never got wide distribution. And it is, in the spirit of some of the best things, a low-budget, high-concept, science fiction time travel movie. With three cast members, I think. It all takes place at this, like, abandoned motel. And it is about a man who is attempting to make a perfect anniversary weekend for him and his girlfriend. His attempts to do that are through a loop of time travel that starts to go awry. 
I read a review when I finished that I think is is pretty accurate. And the review says, imagine if Edgar Wright remade Time Crimes as a smart and sensitive Australian romantic comedy. I think I agree with that. About 10 minutes in, the first few jokes landed and I was like, this is from Connor. In the best way. I was like, this is someone who knows, this, he knows what's going on in my brain. The Infinite Man is available on YouTube, actually, legally, because there's not a proper distribution. I actually found, I found that one and sent it to Josh and said to send it to, to you. It is, a, it is a tight 85 minutes, and it wastes none of that time. I think that's also a giveaway that it was from me, is that it was 85 oh, minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect, too, because I think when you finish it, you want to go back and rewatch it, because as with every great time travel thing, seeing things in motion as they're happening the first go around is, is really something. But the way this one keeps elevating itself almost threatens to make it go off course. And then it kind of uses that in really interesting ways. My favorite focus of it is that it's very character focused. The time travel gimmick is unimportant to anything except that it's it's happening. There's a device that does it. Everything else is character rooted. So it's all about the script. And I think the script is actually quite strong. Great movie. Yeah, I, rem- I remember watching it two years ago that... You kind of think in the first half sometimes I'm like, is this going to be able to do this? Because it keeps digging deeper into its scenario, but it does like a great job. Like it totally follows through and and rides that arc. You almost think at the beginning you can see like a worse version of this that's uh, kind of simple. I think this went through enough drafts that they were like, we have very limited resources and we're going to make sure that this script sings and they, they, I think they pulled it off. I imagine when they wrote this, they had to have made some sort of big board with like timelines and characters and stuff. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, I'm trying to. I was trying to see if because the the director has not done anything since, and I was hoping to find some like interviews and stuff with him. But yeah, I might have brought it up on our first year because I remember being really impressed with it. It was a Monday movie. Every once in a while, we watch a movie that's like actually good, and I'm really glad because Daniel, you were the one I was dreading getting out of everybody. I went to my letterbox and I just sorted by least viewed, <laughs> and started looking at those, <laughs> and I thankfully came across this pretty quick, and I was like, oh that movie rules and i think suited to your taste no, it was a great great choice it, it did feel very curated i almost should have said specifically i don't know if you would agree with this i almost should have in giving it to you said to watch with rachel i think so i'd like off to we'll watch it again i would definitely rewatch it i mean by process of elimination i now know i saw the fablemans and i'm grateful to daniel for giving me that secret Santa because I couldn't completely justify going out to see it with everything that's going on. But the podcast pushed me over the edge having to do the secret Santa. And uh, Can we reveal, reveal the prestige, which is we, we made a pact, the three of us, that whichever one of us got you, we would recommend you the Fablemans. Oh, wow. Well, thank you guys. That's right. Because we know you, you needed the Fablemans in your life. And I was we were worried for that exact thing that you were very busy and wouldn't have time. Basically, we, we, we needed to get your ass in the theater and watch a damn picture <laughs> and you did you saw in arcadia you saw with someone you saw spielberg in a damn picture house you bastard You're welcome well thank you what a wonderful christmas gift what a ho- wonderful holiday gift that was i i couldn't justify going to see it but then when i got the fablemans and the podcast i was like well i gotta make the time and i did go to see it so thank you guys what the pod should end here with christmas music that was very kind of you um I have so much to say, and I I don't want to narcissistically hog all the oxygen because you guys have all been mercifully brief. I decided I wasn't going to go see it at an upscale theater. I didn't want to go and drink a martini. I actually thought, you know what? I haven't been to a suburban movie theater in a long time because we're running a movie theater. And I need to do that because I really want 2023. Here's a sneak peek about something we haven't fully announced. 
But I really want 2023 to be about how do we be part of the solution of getting people back to movie theaters and to cinema? And what is it that makes cinema relevant? So I went to, it's an arcade. I went to the AMC, whatever it is, 14. I saw Fablemans. It had a good audience. I was pleased to see that, even though it's not doing well like nationally. But I sat down. My pop culture and final thoughts are actually going to be about the movie going experience. Put that to the side. My thing on the Fablemans was when I saw it, I actually came out, I thought it was the best thing he'd done since Lincoln, but I was really struggling about whether I thought it was great or not. I thought he pulled his punches on his parents a little bit. So I know everybody um, probably knows this if you're obsessed with Spielberg, but The Fablemans is a fictionalized version of his childhood, specifically his mom and dad and the divorce. And he uh, is a character, he's Sammy Fableman, co-written with Tony Kushner. And it follows him from his first movie, The Greatest Show on Earth, that he saw when he was five with his parents, through meeting John Ford, played by David Lynch, and a great last shot after uh, John Ford gives him advice about how to frame things. If people don't know, PG-13 movies can get away with one F-word. Maybe one of the best PG-13 single F-words in any movie ever. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, totally. And John Ford gets to swear. So I saw it, and there were parts of it that I loved that I I thought were great, just unadulterated great. Then other things where I would, knowing Spielberg's real story, I still am a little confused about why he didn't talk to his dad for 15 years. You know, even though Spielberg has said, oh no, we saw each other at premieres, and, uh, you know, he would call me and congratulate me, and we'd have the occasional phone call. But they had a fairly strained relationship in his 20s and 30s. And this movie, his dad played by Paul Dano, even though you can see that he's weak in certain ways, he's so empathetic. It was actually hard for me to understand what exactly would have iced Spielberg. Although maybe what it was was his anger that his dad didn't fight for his mom more. You know, you finally find out about this affair that the mom is having. and But there were things in the movie that I was obsessed with. As somebody who comes from a Jewish family, the observations of the Jewish family were spot on. Those two mothers, I gotta tell you, like (laughs) Bert's mom, that's some for real that he put in there. I was like, (laughs) whoa! You know, and the fact that they all eat on, like she doesn't want to do the dishes, so they all eat on paperware that they immediately like fold up. I was like, whoa! Also, there's this great moment where he's shooting a World War II picture and he's really trying to talk to the main actor. He's like, but it's your fault. They're all dead because of you. And one of the great Spielberg wonders in the movie is seeing how he took all the extras from one part. They all run behind the camera to become extras in the other part. And then the guy just keeps walking because he's so in character and they're all watching him leave. I love the girlfriend who was totally into Jesus. And she was like, he probably looked like you, a young good-looking Jewish boy. (laughs) And and Spielberg sort of like being a little freaked out by her heavy Jesus stuff, but also realized that they're about to make out. When I came out of the theater, I was like, best movie he's done since Lincoln. Amazing editing, amazing sequences, but I don't know if it's great. Since then, I actually think it is great. It's one of the Spielberg movies you actually think about a lot when you leave it. And what I have to say is I think he was true to himself. He reveals a lot about himself that I actually have to say a lot of people bag on Spielberg, but he did the right thing. He didn't try to pretend to be Bergman. He didn't try to pretend to be Scorsese. He made a Steven Spielberg movie, but the things he reveals in the movie about filmmaking 
and about how sometimes filmmaking is more comfortable for him than dealing with what happened to him and his family, how directors can hide in a way in their filmmaking, how if you're not completely comfortable in your personal life, filmmaking is a way of gaining that control. My buddy pointed out something that runs by real quick, but that's horrifying, which is that when his parents announced the divorce, there's a quick shot of him filming it. And people forget that shot's there, which is that he's already thinking about how he'll film that scene when he puts that scene in a movie while his parents are telling the kids that they're getting divorced. I saw a Q&A with Paul Dano and he talked about that, talking about how like Spielberg works and how that wasn't scripted. And on set, they were shooting stuff and running through the thing and that scene was a whole day and it was a very intense day. He said Spielberg was in a corner thinking about stuff and he said he, Spielberg was crying a lot during the production of this, he was just so overwhelmed with it. And he said at one point he was standing near the actor who plays young him looking at the mirror. And he was like, he was like, hey, I'm going to have you do, you're going to walk through the mirror behind your dad and do this shot. And everyone was like, that's kind of weird. Like couldn't figure out what he was doing in that moment. They just like shot it and then didn't speak of it. And it wasn't until the premiere that he saw it. And he was like, oh, and he's like, and now that's one of my favorite shots because that's just visual perfection of what's happening in the moment type of thing. Just to clarify, I think it's supposed to be him imagining it's not him literally filming his parents telling them the divorce. No, no, that's that's what I mean. What I mean is that he's saying something that most filmmakers don't say out loud. He's showing that at a moment of great personal crisis, he's thinking about the shots. He's being very open about his brain worms. I, I mean, I think you're saying it beautifully, Craig. I agree with basically everything you're saying. Yeah, so I want to thank you guys. I think it is one of his great films. I think he has achieved what few filmmakers achieve, which is a great late period movie. And I think that it shows you that he thought about the editing because as they move from Jersey to the West Coast, those transitions are so beautifully thought about. And one of my favorite transitions of the last few years is when as a boy, he's filming his parents on Super 8, pull into Phoenix, the car, and he keeps motioning the car forward. And then the finally the hand goes up and it's him as a teenager and he says, stop. And it's him eight years later as a Boy Scout. And I was like, you had to think about that cut. A lot of times movies about movies can feel self-indulgent and uh, this just feels very honest. Because really the arc of it is, one of the arcs of it is his like processing his love of movies, like the beginning of his love of movies and then the ending of his like maturation of that love. There's criticisms of Spielberg's sentimentality, but I think this is using it in such a like specifically tailored emotional crux way, both as him as an artist, but also for the audience where it feels completely genuine. That moments that made me feel sort of uncomfortable are left in because it is all about the genuine thing of it all. Things that I think my brain was like, I'd kind of leave that, like that's kind of awkward as a performance piece. But then when you realize the context of it, you're like, oh, that's the entire thing. You're supposed to feel uncomfortable and trapped in the same way that they do, that I think are, are it was very good. Uh, Cause I was in this kind of the same thing where I left in love with it and then kind of was like, oh, I don't know. And then for a week, it's all I thought about. And there, there are things he does, you have to say, I want to see them movie again there's actually i think one of his greatest scare beats weirdly where the mom gets the call from her just deceased mother and she's like don't let him in the house like that's how i have experienced ghost things and then the dad wakes her up and it's just dead on the line and spielberg said that really happened his mom got a call from her dead mother and told the family about it and then it was uncle boris <laughs> who like came. who supporting actor Nam should go to that, man. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah, he's great. Somebody somewhere said, made a joke that Spielberg's dad told him filmmaking was a hobby. So 50 years later, he made a movie about him getting cucked. Um, 
<laughs> Interesting structurally movie too. Like it's totally structured around emotions, not like a plot per se. It, and it's structured roughly in thirds, interestingly. Spielberg likes to do these weird unannounced trilogies. This now completes his trilogy of his Jewish heritage, which is Schindler, Munich, and now Fablemans. There's another trilogy in the bag. Absolutely. One of the rare movies of his that explicitly is about Judaism and his Judaism for sure. Pop culture final thoughts. I went to the movie theater and I was trying to piece together, and this may be even something I just blog about all 2023 because I don't have the answer fully yet, but I went to the movie theater and it felt like the AMCs of my youth. I ended up getting a drink because now they have bars in there. And I went, the, the seats were comfortable, screen was big enough, but it felt like I was watching TV because it was digitally projected. And the first thing that I thought to myself was, they can lie to us all they want, but digital projection is not film projection still. And one of the things that first hit me was I felt like I was watching Netflix, frankly. I forgot about it, I got in this, but I was like, they made this movie on film. They made this movie on 35. I really would have loved the magic of the film projector and film still feels different. It's gonna be hard to get people to go to the theaters if they even technologically understand there's no distinction between what they're seeing at the theaters and what they're seeing at home. If you can create a reasonable facsimile of Dolby Atmos and a huge TV screen at home that's digital 4K, you will have a lot more excuses not to go to the theater. That was number one. Uh, number two, the mid-range movie is dead right now. You know, Wakanda Forever is going to make a lot of money. And then everybody else is running to TV to do the White Lotus or whatever, or Better Call Saul. But very few people are making movies like The Fablemans. I'm an optimist and I want to be very clear to people. Here, here's how I'm going to end this because we have one more podcast to record and I'm, I'm rambling. But I'm actually very optimistic. This is not pessimistic. I believe that there is a way back to the movie theater. I believe there is a way back to the, the way cinema should feel. I think there is a way back to the excitement of this thing is opening. We gotta go, let's get everybody together, we're gonna go. There is a way back to an excitement about different kinds of movies, not just you know, Avatar and Marvel or I'm gonna stay at home and stream it. I think there's a whole bunch of movies not being made right now that need to get made for so people get excited again about cinema and a 90 minute to a two hour story. But I think it's even more than that. I think it's even more complicated than that. And I'm just wrapping my head around it. I don't know that the epiphany has hit me. My road to Damascus moment has hit me, but I am walking that road to Damascus and I am hoping that God will hit me with a lightning bolt because if you want people to come back to, to theaters there's got to be something theaters have got that that your apartment or your home doesn't have. So I went to the, I went to the New Art a couple weeks ago. You know, you know, just me, casually uh, going to the to the theater, watch a picture. Uh, saw Noah Noah Baumbach's uh, new movie White Noise. I uh, saw it on thirty five. You should have put that in your letterbox, uh, Daniel, because you didn't put it on thirty five. Because it's I hate to tell you this, but it's not. Their print got damaged and they sent it back. They told me when I got there. And I was, well, I was a little sad. Well, get, well, 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 guess what, Daniel? I saw it on film. I don't think it played on film at all there. I don't want to break your brain. It did. It did. It did. But they it told did. me it was not being replaced. Why, one of the why? One of the why? Because I saw the marks on the print. It's, so. They're in the digital thing. I think it's supposed to look... You, you know, never mind. Yeah. Santa's also not real. <laughs> anyway, so I, I said I saw White Noise. saw it on 35 millimeter. 239 scope picture did not like it at all i think it was uh 
a very weird satire. Uh, Adam Driver's family talks like robots. From one point, it's a it's a disaster movie, and then it turns into a family drama movie, and has the stupidest ending I've ever seen in a film. But the song's pretty catchy. But the ending was pretty stupid. That's all I gotta say. Also, I, I don't like how newer has reserved seating now. I'm just saying. I didn't love White Noise, but I did. I think I liked it more than Edwin. I think it's interesting to see sort of in the filmmaking space, people that sort of stick to like things that kind of feel tied to this knowledge base that they're very drawn to in their storytelling. And White Noise for Noah Baumbach feels like a really interesting departure. But I also think it's an interesting departure because it's based on a book. And I think you can feel when it's Bombach's voice fighting the author's voice. And I think that's really interesting in the medium, you know, in, in, in adapting something for the screen is you can tell when it is very much in his field. And I think you can also kind of tell when it's the original author's field in interesting ways. And Adam Driver is a gift to cinema. Unbelievable range on that man. I'll say it every time. And once again, because this, this is coming out the 23rd of December, today on Netflix, Glass Onion drops. And if you didn't listen to us last time, there's a lot of love for Glass Onion in this chat. And get your get the whole family together. Unless by some miracle it's playing in theaters, take your family to the theater. But if not, gather around a cozy fire and uh, celebrate your holiday of choice with Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. Um, well, the man, they're still racing go-karts right outside my window. So I don't we gotta, know. Yeah, we got to keep going. We can't do anything about that. Um, <laughs> I was going to mention, technically, the holiday of Christmas has passed. It's the first Monday of every December. For my Monday night movie night last night, we watched, as has become a tradition, we've watched Christy, Santa's first female reindeer, which I don't know how you would find it anymore. It used to be on YouTube. I guess just hit me up, I guess. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's kind of like a found artifact. It's a movie, in quotes. I can't remember if I've talked about this on on the show. Uh, You put it in our pre-show when we were doing drive-ins. I did, I did. I love this movie. It's 80 minutes long. About 60 minutes of it are this kind of episodic drama about these characters at the North Pole with Santa. It's a quote-unquote special effects extravaganza, quote-unquote musical. Then the last 20 minutes, these people just own, I guess, like a farm with animals. The last 20 minutes is this old man, Santa Claus, kind of interacting with animals who are mostly freaked out about the fact that there's a man in a garish Santa Claus suit standing in front of them. And you can tell all these animals are like, what? Why is this man standing in front of me? New Christmas classic. I would recommend recommend watching it with your friends and join the uh, the holiday of, of Christmas next year. If they go outside. And uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D Tuesday evening twitch.tv slash NerdHolla. Uh, you can find out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. You can write us a community at secretmovieclub.com. Join us tonight for The Quiet Man and the Searchers at the Million Dollar Theater. Tomorrow at 11 a.m. for It's a Wonderful Life at the Million Dollar Theater, all on 35 millimeter. As always, I want to thank our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz, who edits all these podcasts. Uh, Secret Movie Club Podcast 132, our last pod of the year, will be about Victor Seostrom's The Phantom Carriage, probably the most famous uh, silent Swedish movie and one of the most famous silent movies internationally and uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Eve movies. So stay tuned for that, and that'll be dropping on the 30th, just before the new year. Right now, though, um, happy holidays to everybody. Uh, Whether you celebrate, whether you don't celebrate, wherever you are, 
We wish you the very best. Uh, we're very grateful that you have been part of this project we call Secret Movie Club. Thank you guys for your Secret Santas. Thank you, Daniel and Connor and Edwin, for being part of Secret Movie Club. Happy holidays to all you guys, and uh, I will see you for the next one. Love you. Happy holidays. Oh, happy holidays. Play Mizzy for me? Yeah. All right. On 35 About damn millimeters. time. Edwin, you can suck a big fat donkey.